We start a new sermon series today in Psalm 23. So if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. Also, in our church app, there's a sermon listening guide that has the scripture printed at the top of that as well. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Several months ago, a father and three children were charged in Bradenton, Florida with illegally selling industrial bleach. Now, there's nothing illegal about industrial bleach as a substance. The problem is they were marketing it as a miracle solution that could cure a lot of stuff. They called it the Mineral Miracle Solution, known as MMS, and they promised that it would cure COVID and that it would cure other things like malaria and cancer. So as they began selling this solution, the FDA began receiving calls about people who had been hospitalized and people with life-threatening illnesses and even some who had died because they drank this solution. Department of Justice estimates that they sold thousands of bottles of this MMS solution, netting over $1 million. And on top of that, they did all of this under the, the cover and the title of a religious nonprofit called the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing so they could avoid government regulation and scrutiny. Now, that's a sad, tragic story. Why do I share it? Because it reveals two realities in our broken world. Number one, the prevalence of empty and deceptive promises to bring healing and wholeness. Number two, the desperation in the human heart for the search for something that will bring healing and wholeness. Now, I just shared a story that's on the, the physical level, more in the physical realm, but this is very true in the spiritual realm as well. There are philosophies, there are ideas, all these things out there that promise to bring wholeness to the soul and healing to the soul. And there's a desperate search in the human heart to find wholeness, to find restoration. 
right at the center of Psalm 23, David says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Restoration, wholeness, healing. Because Psalm 23 is so well-known, it's, it's the most well-known psalm. It's read at funerals. It's read in times of suffering. It's a psalm of comfort. Because it's so well-known, oftentimes we breeze through it. And we don't slow down to rest and rejoice in the beauty of it, in the deep assurance it brings, in the deep comfort it brings, in the deep healing that it brings to the soul. So we're going to slow down over the next eight weeks. We are going to explore Psalm 23. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, not at the how your soul is healed. Though we'll get to implications, but it begins with the who. Who restores your soul? First, the great shepherd, the great shepherd that restores your soul. David begins with the Lord. The Lord in all capital letters in your Bible is the English translation of the great Old Testament personal name for God, Yahweh. It's his personal name, the Lord. First revealed in Exodus 3 with Moses at the burning bush. It literally means, I am who I am. It speaks to God's self-sufficiency and his timelessness. Self-sufficiency, meaning that God needs nothing. He needs no one. He needs no wisdom because he has wisdom in himself. He needs no power because he's all-powerful. He doesn't need to be worshipped. He doesn't need to be helped. He doesn't need to be served. God, Yahweh, the Lord, is self-sufficient. But he's also timeless, which means that he never had a beginning and he never has an ending. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same forever. This personal name for God that David begins this psalm with is repeated more than 4,000 times in the pages of the Old Testament. More than 4,000 times. Beginning with the activity of Yahweh creating the heavens and the earth which he does out of nothing. Meaning that God didn't have some rock and sticks and dirt lying around to create the world. There was nothing except for God. And we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that he spoke the world into existence. He spoke the world into existence. Let there be light and there was light. And he not only created this earth we live on, he created the massive universe that we live in. Let me put this in perspective for you. On September 5th, 1977, 
Voyager 1 was launched out of Cape Canaveral, Florida, shot into space, and has been traveling at approximately 38,000 miles per hour since 1977, traveling almost a million miles per day. As of early this year, Voyager 1, according to NASA, was about 13.8 billion miles from the sun. That's roughly four times the distance from sun to icy Pluto at the edge of our solar system. Voyager 1 is, pro is projected to run out of gas, so to speak, in 2025, when it will have traveled nearly 15 billion miles. That's how massive this universe is that God, Yahweh, created. Now, let me bring it in close. Do you know how many miles of DNA are in your body? If you took every DNA, DNA strand out of each cell in your body and uncoiled it and stretched it out, it would stretch to 10 billion miles. Your DNA would stretch to the sun and back 61 times. According to Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God, who created the massive universe in his power, also created you with such incredible complexity and detail that God is that great. And yet that's just the beginning in the Old Testament about the description of the activity of God, of the Lord, of Yahweh, the great I am. He brought the, the supernatural miracles through the 10 plagues to deliver his people out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea to bring his people and deliver them out of slavery. He brought water out of a rock in the desert to nourish them. He parted the Jordan River to bring them into the land that he had promised. He shut the mouths of lions to deliver Daniel. And that's just to name a few. Who restores your soul? Restoration of the soul does not begin with techniques. It doesn't begin with behavioral change. Oh, it gets there. It doesn't begin with a checklist. It begins with who God is as your creator. It begins with the raw truth of who he is. So your soul is restored by the greatness of God, this great God, this great shepherd. But second is your soul is restored by a humble shepherd, a humble shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Those descriptions of God couldn't be any more contrasting. The Lord, the one who created the universe, sustains the universe, sustains your life, is your shepherd. Now in ancient Israel and all other societies in the ancient world, the work of shepherding was the lowliest of works. If your family 
needed a shepherd. The job of shepherd would have been assigned to the youngest son, just like it was David who wrote this psalm. David was a shepherd. He was the youngest son. The youngest son received this unpleasant assignment of shepherding because a shepherd was with the sheep 24 hours a day. Rain or shine, summer or winter, with the sheep all day long, nourishing them, protecting them, guiding them, helping them. That was the work of a shepherd. Who in their right mind would choose to be a shepherd? And yet that's exactly what God has chosen to be for you, a shepherd. That this God who created the universe and created you in such complexity and high detail has chosen as shepherd to take care of you. How? John 10, 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. God the Son left perfection, left glory, came into this broken world that's been tainted and contaminated by sin, put on flesh, became a man, and fulfilled this first phrase of Psalm 23. The Lord, personal name of God, the great I am, Jesus takes upon his lips when he says, I am. Taking upon his lips that personal covenant name of God, that God was in the flesh. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 12. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus here is contrasting his work as good shepherd with that of a hired hand. And he says, when the hired hand sees the wolves coming to attack the flock, the hired hand runs for the hills. Now, who are the wolves? that Jesus is speaking of. Well, in the Gospel of John, there's three destroying wolves spoken of. Sin, death, and judgment. Right? Sin is a destroying wolf, but it puts on a very nice mask because sin promises happiness. It promises comfort. It promises pleasure. But in the end, the only thing it delivers is death physical, emotional, spiritual. Death, death is the great attacker of everyone, great and small, young and old, men and women of every race. Death attacks. But death doesn't just bring you to a place of nothingness. Death brings you into the courtroom of God Almighty, of Yahweh, whose law you have broken. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, when he saw sin and death and judgment coming upon the flock, he met them, lured them away from the flock, gave his life to kill them and take away their power so they could never destroy the sheep. 
Now, if we stop there, we got a problem. Because that imagery that Jesus gives of him giving his life leaves this. A mangled shepherd dead on the hillside with three dead wolves, sin, death, and judgment, with sheep scattered and thirsty and starving without a shepherd. That's the problem, which is why it doesn't end there in John chapter 10. John 10, 17 to 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The battle didn't end in a draw with a dead shepherd and three dead wolves. No, Jesus rose from the dead victorious, having conquered sin, death, and judgment once for all so they could no longer attack the sheep. Your soul is restored by the great shepherd, the one who made the universe and made you. And your soul is restored by the humble shepherd who laid down his life and took it back up again for you, to protect you. There was a minister in Italy, and he saw the grave of a man who had died several centuries earlier. And when this man died, he was an unbeliever, and he was completely set out against Christianity, and yet a little bit afraid of it, because when he died, he had a huge stone slab put over his grave so that he wouldn't rise from the dead just in case there was resurrection from the dead. And on this stone slab, he had this inscribed, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Now, evidently, when he was buried, an acorn fell into his grave. And over the next century, this acorn grew up through the grave. It split the slab in half, and a century later had become a towering, tall oak tree. And this minister looked at this and asked this question. If an acorn, which has power of biological life in it can split a slab of that magnitude. What can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? The minute that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the humble and great shepherd, by believing that he died for you and that he rose for you, he comes to dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians says that that power is like the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. So it leaves us with a question. What are the seemingly unmovable slabs in your life? What are the slabs that are crushing your soul? 
What are the slabs that are suffocating you? Maybe it's bitterness towards someone who has hurt you and sinned against you. That you can't shape these bitter thoughts and these vindictive thoughts towards this person. You just can't seem to forgive them. Or maybe it's an addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, or to, to a person. You can't get free from it. Or maybe it's a deep fear. It's a fear of failure that drives you to succeed at all costs, at cost to your family, to your marriage, to your health. Or maybe it's a deep fear of being known, which drives you to put up walls and let no one in because you can't imagine the shame that you would feel if people knew the skeletons that were in your closet. These slabs seem immovable. And in one sense, that is true. Because you can't move these slabs. They're too thick, they're too heavy to be moved by your own strength. Sheer willpower cannot move the slab of bitterness. Sheer willpower cannot move the slab of addiction. Sheer willpower cannot move the slab of fear. Only resurrection power can. Only the living shepherd, Jesus Christ, living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, can split these slabs and roll them away. Only Christ can. Who restores your soul? The great shepherd. The humble shepherd. And finally, the personal shepherd. The personal shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, David could have said the Lord is our shepherd, and he would have been right. Jesus says in John 10, 16, so there's one flock, one shepherd. There's one church. There's one family of God in this world. There's one community of faith. So he could have said our, and that would have been appropriate. So you might say, well, then when, when David says the Lord is my shepherd, does, isn't that individualism that we talk so much about here in the West that we're plagued by? The answer is No. When David uses the word my, he is speaking of the type of relationship that Jesus has with his sheep as good shepherd. That it's a relationship of personal belonging. That it's a relationship of belonging. Jesus emphasizes this in John 10, 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Don't miss the remarkable statement that Jesus makes there. He's saying that his relationship with you, if you have trusted him, is like the relationship that he has with his Father. And there's no more satisfying relationship in the world than the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus says, your relationship with him is like that relationship. 
meaning that level of fulfillment, that level of satisfaction, that level of intimacy. In Jesus, you have a living shepherd that guides you, that protects you, that cares for you, that nurtures you. I love how it's written in the Heidelberg Catechism. It was a document written in the 1500s. Listen to what it says. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid, fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, sin, death, judgment. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. This is especially personal for me because it's going. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. David emphasizes the my to emphasize who you belong to but also who you listen to, who you listen to. John 10, verses three to four. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In Palestine today, it's possible that you would witness a very similar scene to what Jesus saw 2,000 years ago, and that is the picture of Bedouin shepherds at the end of the day calling their sheep and their flock together to bring them back. During the day, if you had eight or nine flocks in the same region, they'd be uh, grazing on the same kind of land. Usually at the end of the day, those sheep, all eight or nine flocks, small flocks, would end up at the same watering hole, and all these sheep were, the sheep were all mixed up. But the shepherds don't worry because they know that when the time comes and they give their special whistle or certain tune on a small reed pipe, that their sheep will recognize it. And when they make that call, their sheep will remove themselves from this mass gathering of sheep to follow their shepherd. They won't follow another shepherd because they know their shepherd's voice. You and I today hear many voices on a daily basis. We hear all kinds of voices on a daily basis. You hear the voice of your boss at work. You hear the voice of your coach. You hear the voice of your children. You have children. You hear the voice of everyone's perfect best foot forward life on social media. You hear the voice of your favorite news outlet. 
that has some degree of slant to it. And then there's the voices that are a little more abstract. The voice of fear. The voice of the culture. Life is a lot like sitting in a crowded, busy restaurant across from a friend or a child or a loved one or a spouse. You know what it's like when you sit in a busy restaurant and there's conversations in the booth next to you, the table across from you, there's conversations that are happening and coming from the TV screen, and you know how hard it is and how easy it is to be distracted, how hard it is to stay focused. You know what it's like to sit there in a restaurant and you start hearing that conversation in the booth next to you, and you can't focus. All you can do is hear that conversation or that game that's like playing right up there that you're hearing that you can't get away from. You know what that's like. Only one voice, only one voice can restore your soul. And it's the voice of Jesus. It's his voice that you hear through reading his word. That you hear through hearing his word taught. That you hear through a trusted friend who is speaking the gospel to you. You have to turn up the volume on Jesus' voice and turn down the volume on the other voices that need to be in the background. The Lord is your shepherd. Your career is not your shepherd. Your success is not your shepherd. That person's opinion of you is not your shepherd. That thing that brings you a lot of comfort and pleasure is not your shepherd. Social media is not your shepherd. The news outlet that you go to is not your shepherd. The stock market is not your shepherd. Your bank account is not your shepherd. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the great and humble Shepherd is your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we hear so many voices. And we confess. We confess, Father, that there are immovable slabs in our lives that, that we so long to see cracked and rolled away. And we find ourselves clamoring to these voices that we hear something that will get rid of this slab that's crushing the soul and suffocating. Yet, Father, we know that only the voice of your son, Jesus, can heal us. Those slabs can only be cracked and split and rolled away through the power of our living shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Father, would you draw us to him, to hear from him, and to find our souls restored. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.